price for Tuesday, June 27th, 2023. Coming to you from the GoGoat Sports Studio, built by Herberly, and that's here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. If you're visiting Vancouver, you've got people coming into town, or you need a place to stay by the airport, might we suggest the Western Wall Center YVR. You get some rest, relaxation in those plush, heavenly Beds. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price, Grace Ass, Hinton Switches, conducting things in this show, a presentation of Applewood Auto Group. And we missed it yesterday. We welcome in a new title sponsor. Looking so forward, yes, to working with the Applewood crew because, uh, as you know, Blake. It's all good at Applewood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. Bodog poll question today. Who do you think the Canucks will draft in the first round? You can vote for Zach Benson, the local kid from the Winnipeg Ice. Nate Danielson, the big Brandon two-way centerman. Tom Wielander, the Swedish right-shot defenseman. Or vote other, and if you do, write us in. Tell us who you think they will take with that 11th overall pick. And Patrick Alvin signaling today they they do think they will be keeping 11 and making a selection there tomorrow in the first round of the NHL entry draft. A lot of love for Dmitry Simashev on Indeed YouTube there is. so far. And with good reasons, uh, reading between the lines of Alvin's comments today. We'll get to that later in the show. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and uh, sports odds. Bodog, line of the day from me. Blake and I used to always delight when the San Jose Sharks walked up to the podium in the first round because their director of amateur scouting, Tim Burke, Sounded like he was a character from the Departed. Yeah, central casting. The thickest New England accent ever. And here's the thing. Both the Doug Wilson regime and the Mike Greer regime last year, San Jose has prioritized size in the first round. So rather than a smaller Matvey Michkov at number four or Will Smith, I'm going to take the bigger swing. On mm-hmm. the bigger player, David Reinbacker's plus 500 to go fourth overall. And he's got a ton of helium because right shot defenseman who played pro and some believe he's got offensive tools that will materialize. Plus, I like the value here at five to one on your Bodog wow. line of the day. And there's all sorts of fun props there at Bodog on the National Hockey League draft. Uh, look, it could very well be Simashev from the list we put out there i think it's going to be Wheelander. a because i think there's a fair chance that zach benson is already selected and b because i do think the vancouver canucks after making the philip Ronick trade not to mention the scars of making other trades for defensemen in the past eric goodbranson being one understand that if you don't draft top four defensemen early they are so expensive to acquire via trade. More on that in the welcome, Matt. So I voted Wheelander accordingly. You? Well, it, I was sort of torn. Like, if we didn't give the the three options, um, it'd probably be somebody outside of those three. Because I think Benson might be gone. Um, so if, I, if it was just the three, I'd say Benson. But I'm going to okay. go other. Oh, and, okay. and I'm, I'm going to suggest that it's... Uh, Simashev. Simashev. Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, potentially uh, a center squeezes in there as well, but mm. um, an Oliver Moore maybe. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. Dvorsky and Moore, I, I wonder if one of them falls, yeah. right? Like, uh, I, I think there's certainly room for one of those guys to be drafted in the top 10. 
I'm less sure about two. And so that might mean an interesting discussion for the Vancouver Canucks. And we do talk a little bit about Oliver Moore and the potential that he could fall later in the show with our draft insider from Elite Prospects, Mr. Cam Robinson. Yesterday's Bodog poll question. Lots of big-name players available on the trade market. Do you want the Canucks to acquire one? Yes or no? Nearly 2,000 votes. What did the people say? Um, people said no. They did. Percentage? Which is unbelievable. It's very savvy, like, I don't want to pay too much kind of take. Yes, it is. Canuck Nation uh, is quite smart. 58%. I, I mean, let's this say. fan base knows the game better than many out there. Of course, they have some of the scars and wounds um, that got them to that understanding. Like 71%. Oh. Was just really on the surface surprising, right? Oh, there's big names. You want to get a big name, a good player on your team? No. Again, understanding the acquisition cost. Graham says if the trade is moving a winger for a defenseman that assigned for three to four million for three to four years, not trading any picks or prospects, then yes, no anchor contracts and something that could be moved if needed in the future. If they can't get a hockey trade done, then I would say no. Jared Artemis amongst those who are saying Pesci. Brett Pesci. Everyone loves the profile of Pesci fitting beside Quinn Hughes. He's a right shot, rugged, defensive defense, uh, defensive defenseman. And really, that is, with third line center, the gaping hole on this Vancouver Canucks team. They need a stopper in the top four, preferably the right shot. He could play with Hughes, but of course, if he's a left shot, he could play with Ronick. And of course, that third line center. Colton says, big names? No. Effective role players? Yes. And then there's Jody, who says she'd rather trade for Nicholas Roy or Michael McLeod in that third-line center spot. Um, we'll see. We'll see if uh, either of those players mm-hmm. are available here. All right. So, now, Alvin met the media. We're going to play some of his clips later in the program, just on the NHL awards. Oh, boy. Well, it's been well, we had a, a it's been years since I watched them. Since I actually sat down and watched them. I had nothing better to do last night. So I watched them, Matt. You weren't one of those people who was hate watching and tweeting on about how bad they were? I I, I, I sent out a couple of tweets. Oh, I, okay. I couldn't help myself. Um you know I don't know how to describe how bad it was. It mm-hmm. was atrocious. Yeah, it's uh it's usually quite awkward. It's the same Hockey thing doesn't with the let All-Star. its hair down. It's the same thing with the All Star festivities every year. Like people it makes the, love to hate watch it. The All Star game looks like a Christopher Nolan film next to this. Like it, it, honestly, it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they have to stop. They have to stop. They're, to me, forced jokes and they look rinky dink. It makes them look not like a real league. How about they handed out free beer after Montgomery was up there talking about his tenure and his addiction struggles? Yeah. So many wincy moments. So many. The Connor McDavid stuff with the kid, like, honestly, stop it. All right. So following up on our debate from yesterday, Quinn Hughes finished ninth in Norris Trophy voting. He got one first place vote, two seconds. three. My parents are letting me pitch a tent on their front yard. Mm -hmm. Um so the uh, has Jason Hominick uh, fixed the mortgage? Has he taken back the mortgage? What's the provider has? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mortgage is gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, disappointing. Tough. I I thought for sure. I thought for sure. His top seven, top nine is to me weird. Mm-hmm. Um, 
He got votes in every single station, first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. Mm-hmm. But altogether, it just didn't add up more to uh, didn't add, add up to better than ninth. No, which again, it, until there is team success, particularly for a team on the West Coast, I just don't think you're going to get the love. And I think we saw that a little bit with Elias Hart Trophy, 18th. He got a fourth place vote. He got he got a fifth place vote. Yeah. Pat Hickey from the Montreal Gazette was the one who voted Hughes for first place. Did he really? Did he really? Yeah. Yeah. I know Pat. Pat's a, in fact, I think Pat's retiring, if I'm not mistaken. I thought it was going to be a local guy, but interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Do we know who voted him second? The two votes for second? I will get back to you on that. I haven't seen that. Okay. Somebody voted, uh, a writer in Pittsburgh voted McDavid fifth in the heart and is getting raked over the coals. Apologies for his mentions. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I like the fact that. These votes are transparent now, mm-hmm. uh, particularly since most of them are cast by media folks who believe in transparency, ask for transparency, and thus should practice it themselves. I would disagree, the but if it was a third place vote, whatever. There's no world in which you can argue that it's, that it's, it's, fifth. it's a fifth. Yeah. Some un- other interesting happenings here today, and we'll get into Ethan Bear and the possibility the Vancouver Canucks will not qualify him. Like the Anaheim Ducks are not qualifying Maxime Comtois, and that is a player that both you and Grady, and myself included, have looked at before and went, hmm, he could be one of these later developing power forwards. What do you think there? Is that a player that the Vancouver, they're looking for a big winger and... Milan Lucic is not going to be it. And I think from the get-go, that yeah. was very much just Milan Lucic wishful thinking coming home to finish his career, more so than actual legitimate interest from the Vancouver Canucks. But Comtois is a pedigreed player here. He was a, uh, a second-round pick, 50th overall in 2017, 6'2", 210 pounds. If I'm not mistaken, he scored in his very first NHL game as a very young player back in 2018-2019. Um, good, plays- good, good World Junior Yeah, back played- in 18. Now, failure to launch here hasn't crested 19 points in his NHL career. That's on 64 games from last year. He played 52 the year before. No, he got he had 33 points in 2020. Oh, sorry, my bad. Yeah. My bad. And he had a 16 goal season that year as well, but that's that's the weird season, right? That's so, the outlier, right? Yeah. Now. And mm-hmm. that's the weird season in, you know, with the weird division. So, mm-hmm. lots of weirdness in that year. So, you might have to throw that out and just look at the other um mm-hmm. 24 years old though. So, yeah, big, he's fast. Um. Hey, he might just be this. He might just be like a a good crashing, banging bottom six guy. I don't know that he is going to live up to anything higher than that. I mean, he was only drafted fiftieth. He wasn't a first rounder. But big, fast guys are still pretty useful. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's going to disappoint you with his puck skills necessarily. Uh, hey, nineteen points, nine goals in sixty four games. You you project that over eighty games. That's a pretty good third, fourth line guy. Yep. Like, it's a good bottom six production. Which, which may be the ceiling now. You look at him and say, okay, there was a world where you thought he'd be a top six power forward winger. If that's not going to be the case, those players can still be effective mm-hmm. in bottom six in bottom six roles. Uh, already some big trades in the National Hockey League here today. Yeah. And I suspect there will be more over the next 48 hours. The minute 
Patrick Alvine said, uh, disappointed with the trades, uh, the trade started. <laughs> and I guess, can we call this Alex Newhook trade a, a hockey trade? This is the Montreal Canadiens looking to get better by adding the former BCHLer from the Victoria Grizzlies, one-time first-round pick Alex Newhook. They pay pick number 31, pick number 37, and a one-time third-round pick, and a local kid, Gianni Fairbrother, who didn't play last year, to pry Newhook away from the Colorado Avalanche. And I know that Newhook was a player that was of some intrigue in these parts because of his ability to play center and maybe a potential third-line center fit for the Vancouver Canucks going forward. Your thoughts on that deal? Um, that's good return. Like, I, I'm not... Uh, you know, Alex Newick's got some pseudo roots here, obviously. He played some junior hockey here, so we've got a soft spot for him. He's a good talker, too. Um, but I don't know that I, I see a lot of there there. I don't know that he's going to live up to what he is. So, And he's a restricted free agent, so there's, there's work I to mean, do. Yeah, There's, a, say, a hockey trade. There are cash and cap elements to every transaction yeah. now in the NHL. But he's 22 in an RFA. Uh, Montreal has the ability to uh, sign him. And, you know, Montreal is also awash in, in draft picks and prospects. I mean, they did the full teardown rebuild. So It's going home well, for Newhook to some degree. Uh, Hughes is his former agent, Ken Hughes. So he's playing for his former agent. Yeah, you know, for a guy from The Rock, the Montreal Canadiens are effectively the hometown team. Yep. Well, the, Leafs, Leafs, farm, Leafs. the Leafs farm team yeah. in St. John's has changed that a little bit, but going way back, yes, yes of course, Atlantic Canada was mostly Habs loyal. So I think if you're going to get the best out of Newhook, it's probably the best chance yeah. to. And if you're Montreal, I mean, you're sitting on pick number five. You're going to get a player there. Yep. This 31st overall is the penultimate pick in the first round. You acquired it from, from Florida. 37 is your indigenous second-round pick, but... How many first-round picks or uh, how many uh, second-round picks did the Montreal Canadiens make last year? Because once you go through one of these deep rebuilds, as the Habs have, you do wind up. So they made two first-round picks, two second-round picks last year, and they made a first-round pick and two second-round picks the previous year, and they had two second-round picks the previous year to that. So you know they've, they've had their fair share of high picks and feel like they can – part with some of that draft capital for this year to try and improve their hockey club after a bottom five finish in the overall NHL standings. Now, um, Pierre-Luc Dubois also on the move here to Los Angeles, and that is one of the big names, and, and you sort of wonder whether Dubois, who wanted to go to Montreal, his home province team, that the Habs went, okay, we're going to finish runner-up for Dubois. Let's go ahead and execute plan B, and plan B is Alex Newhook. I, what I'm reading is that Dubois chose L.A. The Dubois was as much a catalyst for the Kings as... as really? Them for, yeah, I, I think Dubois had a sort of a, well, if, if he can't necessarily get a job done, maybe I, maybe I like L.A., and I think he got warmer and warmer to it. That's sort yeah. of the gist that I got from all this, because they needed an extension to be worked out, so mm-hmm. he has to be kind of happy to be going there. Yep. Uh, we will talk more Vancouver Canucks as the show goes along here with Darren Dreger, with Cam Robinson. And as mentioned, we will listen to some of the comments from Patrick Alvine earlier today in Nashville at the NHL draft.
A lot of fluid situations here on the trade market, including defensemen that we will get that we will get into. But Patrick Alvin expects to stay at number 11 here. He has talked about taking the best player available based on upside. So maybe that's a clue. They're not looking at the lower ceiling guys like the Nate Danielsons or Tom Wielanders as much as the higher as much as the higher ceiling guys. Um, there is still a very fluid situation with Ethan Bear, who may not be qualified. And of course, the whole concept of positional need for the Vancouver Canucks, which is huge on defense and at center ice. BC Lions with a move today. Antonio Williams, the running back, released from the practice roster. I think he looked at what Smoke Mizell has done over the first three weeks and said, I'm not sure what I'm going to see the field there. So they get rid of him. But they bring in a running back, and they have really liked these running backs with high college pedigree because this is an an Auburn kid, so he's played in some very big games in front of some very big stadiums, Sean Shivers, to back up to Quan Mizell. This is going into the Monday road game in Toronto against the Argonauts, 3-0 BC versus 2-0 Toronto, a battle, a battle of division leaders there. Let's get to today's golf report brought to you by the Arnold Palmer Design Whistler Golf Club. We've been telling you about all the buddy and client trips up there, but it's also home of the Nike Pro Shop featuring exclusive footwear and apparel worn by Tiger, Rory, Brooks, Scotty, Nelly, and more. And Palmer's Gallery Bar and Grill, where Blake and I have certainly had a bite and a drink Mm -hmm. over the years. It's absolutely gorgeous property there overlooking the golf course top 10 whistler patio for more information go to whistlergolf.com um blake we finally via the new york times got a look at the framework agreement between the saudis and the pga tour and uh well it is most definitely a framework it is very light on specifics. Still don't know what's happening with the Live Tour in and of itself. No, although, They're going to try and keep that brand and that entity alive, well, although nobody knows I what that means. I don't think they will, Blake. I think it's for the sake of posturing. I don't know. I saw, I saw an idea floated that makes a lot of sense. It's a, it's, a, it's a parallel just team event. Periodically, you slot in just team events. Mm-hmm. That's the Live Tour. And also the document points to how elements of live may be uh, incorporated by the PJ Tour, like team golf. But first of all, it's a five-page agreement. It gets out in 10 minutes. It's going to be a whole lot longer yeah. if and when yeah. it is actually uh, signed and comes into force. And, of course, the U.S. regulators are looking at well, it. Well, the interesting thing is that they've got a right of first refusal on sponsorships. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what that means other than I want to uh, maybe they want to make sure that their brand isn't aligned with anything offensive yep. to themselves. Yep. I think that's fair. But seven weeks of secret talks led to a five page agreement that the Times says, given the lack of details, it just shows you how rushed so and sort of impulsive this was. Blake. The Tour and the Wealth Fund, that's the Saudis, still haven't come to terms valuing the assets that each will contribute to the partnership. Yeah. They've got fleets of bankers and lawyers that are working on the valuation process. That in and of itself could scuttle this whole thing. 
Forget about regulators. Forget about tour players. Forget about all the other constituencies and elements of this deal. <laughs> long, long, long way to go. The only ironclad nature of this agreement is that they have agreed not to sue each other or speak poorly of each other mm. while the negotiation process I'll say this continues uh, for the and there will be no more recruiting of players from each tour well, they've also assigned um well, yeah and and they've in, in fact started to talk about the reinsertion of the live players onto the PGA tour but the other ironclad thing is they've assigned titles now to the key players in this Monahan and the live uh head as well not to mention Chairman and CEO. Right. So Monaghan being the CEO and the PGA Tour having final authority. And then two additionally stacked members. So three of the four highest executives are PGA Tour executives. Mm-hmm. Well, because Jimmy Dunn and Glenn Hurley are going to be a part of this. Yes. Thing. Yes. So these are the two guys who brokered the talks. If you, if you are a status quo fan, I think the impact of live stuff, if you will, on the PGA Tour is going to be limited by those three of four being there in the top positions. Well, I mean, that's the hope. But, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, the guy with money the money talks. You're like, hey, money talks. It's called the golden rule. The guy yeah. with the gold makes the rules. Yeah. And so if the Saudis go, okay, uh, you know, we mostly agree, Jay and Jimmy and Glenn, but we don't like this part and uh, our money is dependent on it. Well, then Jay Monahan may have more explaining to do. He's already had a lot of explaining to do. And the other thing, have you heard any update on his health here? No. That has gone eerily quiet, huh? Yeah, it has. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, They've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out. Why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at Applewood.ca. Let's get to today's menu brought to you by De Dutch, De Breakfast, De Brunch, De Lunch. Get it at De Dutch. Darren Dreger stops by, usually on Wednesdays. As we have mentioned, tomorrow's going to be a later show. It's going to be recorded after the Vancouver Canucks make their first round pick. So it's going to be a different show than you're accustomed to and released at a later date so we can account for the Canucks first round pick. Darren with some juicy stuff about the Vancouver Canucks and Chicago Blackhawks mm-hmm. that he had heard Vancouver was one of the teams that was talking to Chicago, potentially in a salary dump before the Blackhawks went out and acquired Taylor Hall and Nick Felino from the Boston Bruins yesterday. Also some talk about Brett Pesci and where he stands with the Carolina Hurricanes And boy, the Carolina Hurricanes have surprised us in the past. The Carolina Hurricanes have been aggressive on contract players with term and money owing, i.e. Brent Burns, i.e. Max Pacioretty. They're eyeing another one, which would completely change the balance of their team and maybe get them that additional offense they have needed, which has prevented them from advancing past the Eastern Conference Final. And if so... May very well be that Brett Pesci shakes free there in Carolina. We'll hear from Patrick Alvine on the 11th overall pick, on the philosophy of best player available, on positional need, and the matter surrounding Ethan Bear, which must be resolved by Friday here on a qualifying offer. 
And then Cam Robinson, our NHL draft insider from Elite Prospects there in Nashville, actually conducted the interview a few feet away from Pat Verbeek, the GM of the Anaheim Ducks, and gave us an answer about how there's some smoke brewing with the Ducks and the second overall pick. Maybe it isn't Adam Fantilli. Maybe they just go, hey, we've got the time to wait on Michkov. Maybe they like a different profile. Judging of by centerman. how good they are right now, Matt, they appear to have time to wait for Matt Vimichkov. Yeah, well, you said it yesterday. Whoever drafts Michkov is going to be a reasonably new general manager because he's going to have to believe that he's going to be around. He's got the time. Yeah. In three years. Yar- Yarmo played it safe yesterday, saying they're going to get a franchise-altering center. With ah, their pick. well done. So read into that how you may. We do a mock draft with Cam. He picks the first ten selections. And then Blake, myself, and Cam all pick a player for the Vancouver Canucks at number 11. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing, Neighborhood Brewing, Workshop Spirits, and very excited to announce the release of Yellow Dog's very first mix pack, Box of Tricks. Choose between the classic Play Dead IPA, the award-winning Rough West Coast IPA, and two brand new beers, Growl Extra Pale Ale and Tug of War New Zealand IPA hitting the shelves on Tuesday, November 7th. And at the end of a busy workday, treat yourself to a Yellow Dog neighborhood or workshop spirit. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious. Probably not. But I do know it was another WTF moment. My question to ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect... And I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger-painting with this team. It's like the running of the Bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here, right now. The Vancouver Canucks should emerge with a victory after the opening round of the NHL Draft Wednesday. Most teams with first-round picks do, and the Canucks pick 11th overall. I suppose they could reach for someone, but really, it's going to be hard to screw this up at least in the immediate aftermath. If we do have to account for an Ole Ulevi-style bust here, that'll be years down the road. Some of us, though, will be watching with interest pick 17 and 43. Those are the two selections the Canucks sent to Detroit in the Philip Ronick trade, and of course the 17th overall was the Islanders' first-round pick acquired in the Bo Horvat deal. That was the latest attempt by Canucks management to jumpstart competitiveness, rob the future to the present. The Red Wings, meanwhile, have turned into draft maestros under general manager Steve Eisenman and seem intent on building a team the old-fashioned way. Draft, develop. Defenseman Moritz Sider was considered a reach by some, sixth overall here at the draft in Vancouver in 2019. Well, he won the Calder Trophy as league's best rookie last season and may well be the best defenseman in hockey at some point down the road. 2020 first-rounder Lucas Raymond, He's already got 40 NHL goals. And defenseman Simone Edvinson, sixth pick in 2021. He played nine games last year, scored a couple of goals. He's a big mobile guy, much like Sider. That Iserman parted with Roenick was a big surprise, almost as much as the Canucks acquiring him, and marked a stark difference in team-building philosophy between the Wings and the Canucks. Now, observers watching the Detroit Red Wings at the time of that trade concluded two things about Iserman. Number one, his team wasn't close enough to a cup in a tough Eastern Conference to start pledging rich contract extensions to guys like Ronick. And that, too, Ronick wasn't worth what he could command, particularly in an organization that had other good young defensemen. 
The contrast is ominous for Canucks fans, given Eisenman built the Tampa Bay Lightning team that won consecutive cups and played in three straight finals. So what he does with those two Canucks picks and how they play out in the long term alongside the fortunes of both franchises here will have us looking back on this draft for years. For the Canucks, scoring a win with the 11th overall pick is just one half of the equation. They need Ronick to be a win, too. That's Welcome Matt for today. We invite your feedback, feedback channels as follows on email, live at securesomeprice.com. You can text 778-402-9680 to the Great Clips inbox, 37 salons in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland. On Twitter, I'm at Sakaris at Sakarison Price, and the Welcome Matter presentation of Northlands Golf Course will be there Friday. Can't wait. Metro Vancouver's premier public golf course. You can book your tee times 90 days in advance. Don't t- don't forget to join the loyalty program. Price your next round could be free. And uh, check out that patio overlooking the golf course in the city. Details at golfnorthlands.com. Yeah, we sort of take for granted that that Ronick's just going to plug and play, beat exactly as as uh, advertised, mm-hmm. and the Canucks are off to the races. But that that's still needs to be realized. Well, and, and let's not overlook who Detroit gets here, right? Because this will be the actual cost. We'll be able to put names to the numbers yeah. of what the Vancouver Canucks gave up. And, and I didn't necessarily... Look, I understand a lot of defense opportunities came and went that they weren't able to execute, and at some point they said to themselves, we have to go out and take the leap, take the plunge, and add a top four defenseman via trade. Didn't want to have to pay this price, but hey, that's the going rate. That's the market value of a top four guy. Completely understand where they were coming from in the trade. Didn't necessarily think the time was right. We'll see about the player. But tomorrow we're going to give tomorrow and Thursday, I guess, we are going to be able to put some names to those picks and also go through the exercise, Blake, of who is available and who the Canucks might have taken with that first round pick at 17th overall and that second round pick in the 40s. Harrison Bryce from Wall Center and our Bulldog poll question today asking you, who do you think the Canucks will draft in the first round? Not should, will. Zach Benson, the local boy, Nate Danielson, Tom Wielander, or you can vote for other, and if you do, please tell us who. Voting at Sikharson Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Bodog, line of the day from me. You can bet over-unders on prospects. So, Vancouver's Andrew Crystal from St. George's, the Burnaby Winter Club, and the North Shore Inline Adult Hockey League. Shout outs, Grady Sass. 21 and a half. The under pays 265 on a $100 bet on your Bodog line of the day. With TSN Hockey Insider, Darren Dreger, one half of the Rain Dregs Hockey Podcast. He's in Nashville at the draft. Dregs, how we doing? Yeah, we're doing good. I mean, you guys have been here, right? Not just Nashville, but the draft. And you spend a lot of time lobby trolling, going from uh, <laughs> one venue to the other, meeting with player agents, meeting with uh, scouts mm-hmm. and GMs and the odd prospect. But it's uh, it's a busy time of the year, and it's going to be an exciting week, I think. What did lobby trollers do before the smartphone, huh? <laughs> Boy, what a just 
devastating exercise prior to the smartphone. Just a lot of mind numbing. The payphone bank. To sit in that yeah. lobby yeah. Uh, and wait yeah. on so and so to come out of her room. What's the juiciest thing you're hearing here in the lead up to tomorrow? Oh, well, I mean, the most current uh, and equally juicy would be the back and forth between the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Paperson from CEA Hockey represents Pierre Luc Dubois. And the Los Angeles Kings, and I guess honorable mention, might go to the Montreal Canadiens. Um, you know, Winnipeg and Brisson are hard at work right now. And, you know, it, it would make sense to me that they're trying to get an extension hammered out so that they can transact a trade with the Los Angeles Kings. But it's a complex situation, no doubt about that, just given uh, the salary cap impact and all the pieces that are in play and, and all of those things. So... Um, that's kind of the focus, and at least that's been my focus for much of the morning here in Nashville. Uh, I think we posted online. It should be up now on tsn.ca. Uh, Pierre Lebron and I did a, a television segment, and you know he talked about the number of suitors that are now drilling in on three-time Norris Trophy winner Eric Carlson of the San Jose Sharks, and mm. one that's intriguing uh, in at least a, a fashion of tire kicking, and this will surprise no one is Brad Tree living in the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I say it that way because Tree is one of those GMs who's noted for being in every conversation. Now, it seems to me that this is fantasy hockey from a Toronto standpoint, just because, again, of the salary cap. Like, how much money would San Jose have to eat to execute that type of a deal? So... Just an inquiry, I think, more than anything made by the Leafs. And and you kind of just go layer after layer, rung after rung of all the percolating stories here. Patrick Alvin said he's a little surprised there hasn't been more hockey trades leading up. Is is it going to be a, you know, a furious pace leading up to draft day, do you think, or draft hour? Or do you think that it's going to be a little more plotting to get these hockey trades pulled off? Yeah, I think it's more plotting, Blake, because of what I just said about you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois and the potential of going to L.A. Everything mm-hmm. is attached to the money, and the system is gummed right up, right? So, yeah, it's it's great for us to speculate, and I'm not suggesting that we're, we're speculating just recklessly. Of course we're not. You know, the Montreal Canadiens would have loved to have acquired Pierre-Luc Dubois, but Winnipeg's not in a rebuild, and the Montreal Canadiens weren't going to tear apart their roster to make a deal like that work. Um, so the money is always a factor. I got to tell you, fellas, when uh, when Boston executed that deal with Chicago Blackhawks, that was interesting to me because among the many rumors that percolate out there, I, I had heard that maybe Vancouver was poking around the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, and it's pretty obvious that Chicago is the new Arizona now, right? You, right. Need, to, you need to park a salary like Taylor Hall. Um, yeah, no problem. Just send them our way. Um, and I, I, I got the sense that Vancouver could have been among the teams. I'm not saying that they got real close, but uh, maybe could have moved a forward or two or a player or two. And maybe the payback from uh, Chicago's perspective is you move up in the draft. Uh, what do the Hawks have other than one? 19, I think. So mm-hmm. what, what might that have looked like to move up into uh, to the 11 spot? So anyway... It didn't happen, but I'm sure that there's been all kinds of that dialogue, and that'll likely continue late into tonight. Could it still happen, Dregs, or, or do you think that's dead now between the Canucks and Hawks if they're well? And, and look, I, I, yeah, you know, I, I just heard that, so uh, and I, I did um, 
you know, try and check in with my Canuck sources and got no response. And normally when that happens, which isn't very often, then there's probably a little bit of fire to go along with the smoke. But, you know, maybe they knew at that point of my inquiry that, you know, the Blackhawks were already well down the path with the Boston Bruins. But it's too hard to say. I, I use that as an example and not saying that it was Well, let's flip it around, though. Do, do you think Chicago's done taking on salary? Because they're still below the floor, according to a lot of the sites that yeah. I'm looking at here. And, and even if they're above it in some other creative accounting, they're not far above it. So, I mean, they still could take on salary, right? I mean, it's yeah. just a matter of how much how much they want to do in that regard. That's exactly right. And, and that could be another reason why the crickets are chirping out of Vancouver, right? Like if mm-hmm. there's, yeah. if, if, if there is the potential of, of the Hawks taking on, you know, something like that from the Canucks, I just think when I look at the draft ladder again, the, the thinking I'm, or the, what I'm hearing is, and I'm not the draft prospect guru. You guys know that that's up to Bob and that's up to Craig Button. Um, but this is a deep draft class, especially in the first round. So maybe the sense is that the player that you're going to get at 19 really isn't that much different than the player that you're going to get in, in the top 11, right? 11, and if, yeah. if, if that's the case, then maybe there is something to it. And maybe there is reason why there's no response and the waiting game continues. But yeah, no question. The Chicago Blackhawks are, are still in that vein of taking on some contracts. And they still want to surround Connor Bedard with some talent. Obviously, Taylor Hall yeah, can play with him yeah. now. Um, like, is there anybody else on that roster that you envision them? Like, Tyler Johnson and Andreas Athanasiu are just not the same quality as Bedard and, and even a vintage Taylor Hall. So I wonder if they do want another, you know, suitable winger um, to play alongside those two. Yeah, and I think that that's exactly the case. And. You know, I think of Max Domi as being a pretty versatile forward. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I mean, he's 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 drawing attention. Um, and I remember when, you know, he initially left Chicago, there was speculation that he'd have no problem going back. Uh, but that may have changed, too. But, yes, to your point, Blake, I mean, they need experienced players. Not players necessarily at the end of their career. Or that could be an option. But that's a finicky market, right? We know that the season ticket uh, sales went up as soon as they won the draft lottery and Hawks fans who are educated fans realized they'd won the sweepstakes getting Connor Bedard. So it's important to rebuild uh, in a developmentally friendly way, but you still have to be competitive. And so I would think that, uh, that the Hawks will have interest in further insulating Bedard and company. Have you heard anything further on where the Canucks plan to spend some of this OEL cap savings? Do you think they're more inclined on the trade market, the free agent market? And if you picked up anything there with regards to this newfound uh, ability from Vancouver to add yeah. players? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, again, they, they, they want to add defense. Um, they need a third-line center. They'd like to add a hulking winger. You know, you, you do look at free agency unless, you know, via trade – you have that perfect scenario whereby you can move out a contract that you don't like that saves you even more cap uh, relief. Um, and then if that can happen via trade, then obviously you do look at the unrestricted free agent market. That market isn't clamoring with high-end talent, right? It's, it's not as deep as it has been in past years, but that's not a bad thing either because, you know, then the Vancouver Canucks aren't going to get into kind of the, the big game hunting sort of side of things. So, uh, I think that they're open to all scenarios, no doubt about that. 
who are the other Eric Carlson suitors, as you understand it? Well, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly, right? I, you know, I mentioned Toronto being a tire kicker. Um, curiously, and I think LeBron mentioned this as well, the Carolina Hurricanes seem to be involved. There's a, a real big appetite in, in Carolina to get some business done here. They made it to the Eastern Conference Final. They were plagued by injury. You know, obviously that had heavy influence on, on Florida advancing. Uh, but Carolina has a taste. And the owner there, Tom Dundon, is he's, he's aggressive. Uh, I just have a tough time envisioning that blue line with Carlson Burns. Uh, and I guess we can, you know, throw Tony D'Angelo in the mix. Maybe Tony D'Angelo, yeah. yeah. One, right? And, and it's still gummed up a little bit, but it's not entirely dead. Um, you know, as Ferraro and I talked about on the podcast this morning, uh, I don't know that, you know, Brent Burns and, and Eric Carlson were a great fit together in San Jose. So I, I'm, I'm a yeah. little mystified by Carolina's interest because let's not <laughs> overlook Brett Pesci too, right? You know, they're, they're, they're still trying to get a contract signed there. Um, and that's another developing story that we've got to keep an eye on. Not just the extension possibility, but obviously the, the trade potential of Brett Pesci. And if they're legitimately willing to move on him, then there's no shortage of suitors for him. Well, I was going to say that would be quite a um, departure in terms of profile to go from Pesci to Carlson. Uh, dregs. There are a lot of Canucks fans salivating about P- Pesci on the trade market because they think him the perfect partner for Quinn Hughes as a right shot defensive yeah. uh, defender. Um, do, do, how available do you think he is right yeah. now? And do you have any sense of what the cost would be if you're acquiring Pesci in a trade right now? Well, look, the preference right now is to try and get him extended. But my understanding is there's still a considerable gap between the Pesci camp and the Hurricanes, and I, I don't know how much dialogue there is there. You know, it's a precarious spot because if they don't get something done and they just opt to, to keep him around, then he walks into unrestricted free agency, you know, for nothing. The return for Brett Pesci would be a significant one. No question about that. Um, but the line of teams that have interest in him is equally long. I mean, you guys can envision, as you just illustrated, what he might look like alongside Quinn Hughes. You don't think the Edmonton Oilers, even though they have no money, uh, can can picture Brett Pesci as an upgrade on Cody Cece potentially? So, I mean, those are two Canadian teams, and you know, I'm sure there are a couple of other Canadian teams with interest as well. But Carolina first has to get to that place where they're figuring out what direction they're going. If you're going all in on Eric Carlson and, and you're negotiating, you know, the finances and everything that goes into that with San Jose. And it makes sense to me that you'd probably move on Pesci sooner than later, but there's no guarantee of that. Is uh, Rome about to fall in southern Alberta? What are you hearing on the Flames and all the available (laughs) players there? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of interest in those players. Um, You know, I think there's interest, I would say considerable interest in Tyler Toffoli. I wouldn't be surprised if he were the first guy to go. And then after that, it gets a little bit more complicated, I think. Uh, you know, we know you've got Michael Backlund, you've got Noah Hannafin, you've got some other intriguing pieces. Uh, Lindholm, Pierre Lebrun talked about him in our coverage last night on tsn.ca. Um, but it's not like, you know, there's a mass exodus here potentially. You know, of course, Craig Conray and the management group there could move out more than Tyler Toffoli, no doubt. I mean, there's, there's opportunity for that. But they've got to get the right deal, too, because, 
it's not a full-on fire sale there. They still have these players under contract. The only thing is, these players have honestly acknowledged that it's highly unlikely they're going to extend their time in Calgary. But that doesn't mean that you know they're looking to to get out immediately. They're just being transparent and giving the, the Calgary Flames the opportunity to maximize the market. Is this a is this a post Daryl Sutter civil war inside the room? Is that what's happened here? Like you know the boogeyman's gone for at least part of the room with with Sutter out of there. Yeah. Um, why are we still seeing signs of division here with a new world order and some popular guys taking over with Aguila and Conroy in the front office? You think this would be a way to bring people in and uh, instead of people wanting to leave right uh, but i i think it's it's just the evolution of the game here and not on ice off ice you know mm-hmm. between restricted free agents and pending unrestricted free agents a year out from free agency i don't think these players or their representatives have have ever had more clout than what they have right now and it was once taboo to you know, go to to management or a club and say, well, I know I'm going into the final year of my contract, um, but I'm just telling you right now that I'm not going to extend. So if you want to trade me, trade me. I mean, that never used to happen, and now it seems to be happening happening more and more frequently. Uh, why is that? I don't know. I, I guess that's in th- in Tyler Toffoli's case. I think it's because he wants to manage the final uh, contract of his NHL career. And if he and his family, it's nothing against Calgary, but if they see that they want to set roots down somewhere else, well, how do you do that? You know, you do that by jump-starting the process. So I think this has more to do with the personal lives of these players more than it does the professional lives of these guys and the, the new takeover of Conroy and Aginla and company. Uh, lastly, for me, Dregs, you, you mentioned the Dubois deal, and I suspect that by the time most people hear this, we'll probably have resolution there with Pierre-Luc Dubois, the LA Kings, the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, but the rest of the Jets, Hellebuck, Shifley, Wheeler, uh, what's happening there, and do you suspect any of those names to be moved here uh, in Nashville? Yeah, like it still feels like Blake Wheeler ends in a buyout. That's how it feels, unless... Here's a way that Winnipeg can can sweeten it to a point where another team takes him and they potentially buy him out. That's happened before, and it could happen again. Um, you know, Hellebuck, I think that there's a little bit of activity, but there's still sticker shock, and that might have been a misplay here, right? You know, in the acknowledgement that this guy, even though he probably has earned um, an ask of upwards of Andre Vasilevsky at, at $9.5 million, I think the contending teams who would have an interest in Hellebuck. <laughs> um, well, look at the teams who have won the Stanley Cup with a goaltending that they've won it with. Do we really need to pay our goaltender nine-plus million dollars? So that limited the market a little bit. And, guys, I'm surprised by this. I'm told it's super quiet around Mark Shifley. Super quiet. And hmm. that that's surprising to me because this guy can be a real impactful player. He, he can be. And, you know... Based on where his contract's at, I mean, not a lot of time left on that. I feel like that would be a good fit for a lot of teams. But but let's just pump the brakes here a little bit. Get to this week. Uh, get through free agency. And as we say almost every single year, the teams that you know either can't find the trade this week leading up to the draft, then strike out in free agency, they get pretty hungry and borderline desperate. 
and then maybe they, they start to, to really go after a player like Mark Shifley. Marvelous stuff, Darren. We'll let you get back to uh, lobby watching or lobby waiting or yep. lobby parlor games, whatever you're on to. <laughs> Thanks for this. We'll catch up next Wednesday. Okay, guys. Be well. Carson Price from Wall Center. No hashtags today. We're going to keep it to the NHL draft. We're going to get an itty-bitty to the people segment in tomorrow after the first round. Instead, today we're going to bring you some of the comments from Canucks General Manager Patrick Alvine from this morning in Nashville at the NHL Entry Draft. And Blake, it's a presentation of Jason Hominick of Jason.Morgan. Saw a headline today that the average U.S. house prices went down for the first time in 11 years. So maybe that's a good sign? In the meantime, just be safe. Lock up your right now. This could be for a new home buyer. This could be for somebody just uh, seeing the end of their mortgage coming in the not-too-distant future. Because you lock it in for 120 days, if it goes down, guess what? You just renew that rate. If it goes up, you're sitting pretty with your original locked-in rate. Like it's just, it's just a win-win. It's only helping you. It's Jason Hominick's advice, and he's got a lot more. Go contact him at Jason Mortgage. Did the uh, house prices decline in Santa Monica, Waikiki Beach, South Beach? Oh, you're thinking if they go down enough there, you'll be in. Yeah, I mean, I'd consider a uh, um, vacation. I, I just said property. go down. I didn't say crash. Oh, so they went down in like middle Nebraska is what you're telling me. Uh, the average U.S. home price. Okay. Yeah. I didn't really uh, investigate Waikiki, that. Santa Monica, South Beach, they, they ain't average. You, you always go zonal. Always with the zonal. Shout out Stu and Statistics. Okay, Alvin met the media this morning in Nashville. I actually heard they weren't planning on anything, but they kept getting requests from people like, when is Alvin going to meet the media? When is Alvin going to meet the media? Because it's pretty standard fare for yeah. general managers to do a media availability before the draft. Here's the general manager on the likelihood that they're now going to keep the 11th overall selection. We're going to pick 11 here. Uh, not much uh, discussions of moving up at this point. So uh, we're excited about the 11th. Uh, we... Uh, the scouts are doing uh, the last uh, final uh, tuning here on the list, but uh, I think there is a couple, of, a handful of players that they're excited about to uh, potentially get to get to eleven. So a few things there. That was a quick backtrack on moving up based on his comments from last week, as we suspected that either it's smokescreen or it's going to be too rich for their blood. Or just wishful thinking, you know. If there's yeah. not, if there's not a, you know, any serious partners out there, you can, I mean, you can't do it with one team. Are you surprised he hasn't talked more about trading down, or do you just think that's a headline he doesn't want to generate? And if they wind up trading down, then it will come as sort of a, a bolt on the draft floor. The latter trading down is controversial um, because eleventh's pretty nice high pick. Like it's. It's not a top ten pick, but it's, it's the not next even best thing. Third, but yeah, it's the next best thing. Um, so yeah, I don't think you want to make headlines with you want to get worse than eleventh, like you get worse a worse pick. But of well, course, but you can always explain and say you know to acquire more draft capital. I think you, you deal with that in the moment when when you're getting the questions. So do you think he's just been very silent on that front because he knows there's going to be an opportunity to move money there? Move out of Garland, say. It just doesn't want to attract attention. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's all it's all possible. There's certain cards that you don't mind laying down. Like it doesn't really uh, impact you. Doesn't hurt you too much to lay them down. Like but saying you'd like to move up. There's really there's not an impact. Well, saying you want to move up plays very well with the casual fan because it's like, oh, we want to move up. He's aggressive. Then, yeah, oh, exactly. He's creative. Whereas, you know, the more sophisticated red fan goes, wait a second, that's going to take a hell of a lot to actually achieve that. Yeah. Probably not going to happen. Yeah. And may not actually be in their interest. But it's a, it's a way more fun thing to say. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think he keeps the other ones closer to his vest, even though yeah. I'm not predicting it happened, but I'm saying it, 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 there's a strategy mm-hmm. to not talking about it. So let me ask you this. He pivots very quickly. There he goes. Uh, there's a couple, handful. Let's take couple as the gospel here. Let's say there are just two players mm-hmm. that are targeting at 11. If we get surprises and they're gone. Like, let's say Simashev is one. Let's say Reinbacker is the other. But they're hell-bent on the big defense. Yeah. You think at that point there's a possibility of a trade now? Um, because Reinbacker's gone, but Simashev isn't? No, that they're both gone. Oh, they're both yeah. gone. I see what you mean. Um, Do you think Wheelander was a smokescreen that it's really they're meeting with Simashev today? Yeah. So we met with Wheelander. We'll let all the media know we let with me. We met with Wheelander. Everybody thinks we're interested in him, but really our focus is Simashev. We meet with him a little more subtly at my fo- the draft. My focus is a guy that looked like Zlatan Ibrahimovic in a Ferrari right beside you at, at that moment. Um, I, I, I think it's possible. I think it's possible. I think they um, – I, I mean, really, you can have all the best late plans in the world, but draft day things change, right? So I think you, you have to have a couple of – realistic game plans, and then you have a couple dream scenarios. And then you adjust accordingly. So I, I think trading down is a very real possibility, but again, still need a willing partner, still willing to pay close to market price for uh, that change. Let's hear Patrick Alvin on draft philosophy, including that phrase, best player available. Last year you talked about uh, really aiming for upside and skill. Is that the same mindset at this pick as well? Yeah, I, I think we always uh, look for the, uh, the highest potential uh, with a player. Um, and not just next year. I think it's more, you know, when when there are the, the best uh, between uh, 23 and 25. Um, definitely uh, those uh, different makers and, and uh um, the the more I mean the the game is you, you're looking for difference makers there. So are you focusing in on any positional, or are you guys just looking straight across the bed? Well, we have uh, the best player the best player available uh, based on upside. So a few things to unpack there: the highest potential, and not just next year. And he cited the 23 to 25 age range, which is the traditional scouting response here, although well, the Vancouver Canucks don't behave that way. No. They are a much more immediate gratification. Organization. Well, that's a way more modern take, though, than what Jim Benning would have said. Jim Benning would not have said he, the players peak at 23 to 25. There's no chance. So I, I, I applaud the fact that Alvin is seeing it through the modern scouting lens that that is. I mean, you could extend it maybe to 27, but mm-hmm. it got a lot younger, folks. You know, like the, the yeah. old school guys, the meat potatoes guys would say that a player peaked 27 to 31. Mm-hmm. It's not the case. Now, when he says highest potential, and then Glader says best player available based on upside. And in the middle is a lot of talk about 
difference makers, and I think they would argue that LaCara Mackey last year was a difference maker because he was believed to be the best natural goal scorer shooter of the puck. Yeah, high upside, yeah. Does that take some, like a Dvorsky, a Barlow, a Moore, a player like that that maybe doesn't have the highest ceiling, does that take them out of the mix? Does that point again more Simashev than Wheelander when you're talking about the defenseman? Yeah, I mean, with the caveat that if Does you, that mean Zach Benson if he's available because we just can't pass up what a first line scorer who could potentially play center? Except a five foot nine guy. Yeah. Um, and I do think the head coach wants more size. So you wonder whether the talkative effect steers them away from Benson. But a, a difference maker can be. A physical shutdown guy, too. So if you strongly believe in the two-way game, if we're talking about a forward, or in, in Ryan Backer's defending, if you strongly believe that he's a mm. difference maker, and I think you can you can argue that skill is a difference-making skill, but uh, I would say the first read, the gut instinct read, is is the spectacular potential. Well, then let me throw this at you. It would be a masterful smokescreen, because we're sitting here talking about Ryan Backer, Simashev, and Wheelander, is that the Swedish kid? Sandine Palika. Yeah, I, I think... I, because he's the one that people think are is going to be an offensive dynamo in the NHL. But he's he's not going to be Quinn Hughes, but he's in the mold of, and you've got that guy. I think you want so the redundancy, the redundancy excludes him. That again, all things being equal, if you if it's a it, these are sort of uh, tie breaking scenarios, and in a tie breaking scenario, if you've got Sandy Pel- uh, Pelica and, and another guy beside him, I think the tiebreaker is the redundancy issue. Let's hear from Alvin on positional need. He was asked about with the draft in particular. I, I, outside of eleven, do, do you need to begin to? Or continue to take in defensemen just so that you have sort of a, a conveyor belt? Well, I think our, our scouting staff did a really good job last year identifying uh, McWard, Hirose, uh, Philip Johansson. Um, but again, uh, if there is a, a defenseman available uh, at 11 uh, that our guys think is, is the best player available, uh, we definitely uh, will uh, pick that guy. And later on as well, or do you shift away from best player available as the draft goes into the third and fourth round? Well, I, I yeah, we could, we're definitely something we'll we take a look at. And, uh, you know, I, I think we were pretty good last year spreading out the, the picks and positions, and, and uh, we're able to get a goalie in there as well. So I think we're, depending on... Uh, who the player is and, and potential upside, we, we definitely, as, as the draft moves along in the second day there, we will probably discuss it at the table. That he name-checks Hiroshi McWard and Johansson, Johansson, does that lead you to believe that maybe they think they're a little better on defense going forward than we all do? Because let's face it, whoever they draft here is not playing top four minutes next year. I think that could be a part of the pun. It could be a defensive answer. Just that, you know, if they happen to go with the forward, mm-hmm. they need to be able to face the, the public and say, no, no, we've got, we're, we've got defense. And, and ultimately, hey, I mean, the, any defenseman draft is not helping them in the immediate anyway. But um, no, I, I, I think they, they, they have to say that because everybody knows it's been a critical shortage lately. 
they have added to it a little bit with McWard and Hirose. I mean, it's helpful. Um, but I, I think they have to say that at this point. Yeah, and prediction here from rounds two through seven, they will take a goaltender somewhere. I don't think you employ Ian Clark at the freight you employ Ian Clark without giving him one of your seven picks. And right now they have seven picks. We'll see how many they use. Potentially, but remember, they, they, they had the free agent signing, the uh, the Finnish kid. Uh, they've got Seelovs. I mean, he, he's got pupils there. I, I Yeah, but I think you give him one every year. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, it's such a critical position. And, of course, if you're really deep there, you can apply it for other positional needs. Okay, lastly here, Ethan Bear. This was the most interesting answer. In fact, this answer, I think, is very honest, and I think it is very dependent on what happens over the next 24, 36 hours. Qualifying offer deadline will be on Friday. Just wanted to see if there was an update on Ethan Bear or if there's anything you can tell us about what players uh, your club's qualified or if they've informed agents, if you've informed agents yet about who will be qualified and who won't. Yeah, I think it's a little bit too early for us uh, to say anything on that. Uh, regarding Ethan Bear, we're still talking to his, uh, to his agent there and uh, we'll know more about it here uh, uh, coming into Friday. Has the trade market shaped up to this point in a way that surprised you? Or more or less what you expected? Yeah, I think more or less what I expected here. Yeah, you wish there were a little bit more hockey uh, lateral moves, uh, but uh, there hasn't been uh, many of them uh, up to this point. What I hear there is that they're still trying to squeeze Ethan Bear and get him to sign a deal, a club-friendly deal of two years, three years, something like that. The other thing I hear there is that he's hoping to make a trade for a defenseman that would mean they don't have to qualify Ethan Bear, and that if he does leave their offer, then they walk away. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably I, true. I think Bear's future rides on whether or not he's willing to accept a team-friendly offer and whether or not the Canucks can make a trade for a defenseman here. But I, I I also have been reading that I think they are talking trade of Bears rights as well. That may well be. Uh, which is, I mean. I, which fits into the lateral hockey trade part, right? Maybe he's trying to trade Bear and something to get a guy who, A, is going to be healthy in October and mm-hmm. able to play, and B, represents, in their view, an upgrade and, uh, over Ethan Bear. And Alvin did go on to lament the lack of hockey trades that yep. he'd seen so far. Um, I uh, I don't know if there's much value in, in a bear trade. No, no. You're not recouping a second-round pick. Oh, no, no, no. no. I mean, um, you go for a fourth or a fifth. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. Um, I, I Normally, I'd be all over this, except, you know, the, again, great that the Canucks got cap space, but they are not flush with it. It's, it's, not, like they, yeah. it's not like they won the lottery here. They still have to be super judicious on how they allocate this money, and I, I don't know that yeah. he's the difference maker that you allocate well, some of this and, money and to. I, you know, I read a lot of that. We saw it yesterday uh, with responses to our Bodog poll question about you know more people not wanting to be in on a big name. I, I've heard Jeff articulate the case, but I think we all have to realize here they bought out OEL now. For a $7 million immediate cap savings, they are going to use that money. 
You don't buy out the player right now not to use the money. There was not going to be a $7 million savings on an OEL buyout next year. They're doing it now, as he explained last week, to inject them with effectively a get-out-of-jail-free card here where you can go out and improve the team for this coming year. So I, I, I don't think anyone should be surprised when they go out and spend the lion's share of the cap savings they got from Oliver ekman Larson. That has been the modus operandi of Canuck Sports Entertainment through the last two regimes, both Bennings and the first offseason last year for this Rutherford Alvin outfit. But they just have to be judicious in how they do it because they know those $4.7 million hits are just two years away. So, like Vancouver Canucks and judicious no, in the same I, sentence. I hear you. I hear you. Dude, you new here? <laughs> Joined by Cam Robinson, our draft insider from Nashville and Leaf Prospects Director of Film Scouting. To set us the scene there, buddy. Where are you at? What you up to? Got in uh, got in late last night. Made it in time for the uh, post-award show media function there. So got some uh, some free food and drink on uh, Uncle Gary Bettman's tab, which was a good time for sure. He got to shake some hands and kiss some babies. And uh, now sitting in the lobby waiting ahead of uh, Patrick Alvin's press conference here and Mm. GM's walking by, presidents all hanging out, right, right, kind of within arms reach of me here. So hopefully I, I don't say anything too uh, too disastrous on the air here. Yeah, well, we're uh, we're gonna go through a mock draft here in a second. They might be interested observers to our exercise. Yeah. So but no, no Tootsie's last night. You're saving Tootsie's for tonight. Is that what's happening? No, we we hit up Tootsie's. Yeah, that was. The oh, last you did. Time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We shut her down the Tootsie's area. Oh, did you really? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the last one. So it was, uh, it was a it was a late night, but uh, that, that's we're working on fumes. That's that's. The and you're on Pacific week. time. You yeah. had you had you had the 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 power of Pacific time in your corner. So you were finally champ. right. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. You know, if I was writing the scouting report on Cam Robinson, I would say, you know, plays well on the dance floor and he plays hurt as well. Yes. So here That's he right. is. Um, okay, so we're going to do a mock draft down to the 11th pick, and then each of us is going to pick a prospect for the Vancouver Canucks at number 11. But you're taking care of the top 10 picks for us here, Cam, and um, we'll just rifle through these. And we're going very boring with the first three. We're going Connor Bedard to Chicago, Adam Fantilli to Anaheim and Leo Carlson to Columbus. Although you were saying there's a little bit of scuttlebutt now about the top three picks. What's going on there? What's the rumor in Nashville? Like I said, I've got uh, I've got Pat Verbeek about an inch away from here, but there's a lot of chatter about Anaheim at two there and what they're going to do. So I don't know, you know, like you said off air there, Matt, is that there's always some buzz a day or two ahead of this thing. Yeah. But uh, I heard from multiple people there. <laughs> That yeah, they they are looking at all options, and that includes ah, as Will they should. Smith. Yeah, that includes Matthew oh, Will Smith. Oh, yes, that I know, and that was a surprising one. And from a pretty uh, trusted person there, they said that they have been hearing that his name frequently coming up at two, um, <laughs> and and that and that Carlson's a, a very viable option for them too. So I mean, mm-hmm. the, we've always thought the fun was going to start at four, but the fun might start at two. Yeah. Well, uh, let's work on the premise that the fun starts at four. Yeah. Uh, San Jose on the clock and then Montreal at number five. Cam, take us through who you got going there. Okay, so we're going Will Smith at, uh, at number four, heading to San Jose. Um, 
I don't think he falls past four. I think maybe maybe gets to five in, in the real world here if something fun goes on. But uh, you know, Silky Silky Center, great playmaker, got good hands. Obviously, put up monster monster points in the program. He's got top line upside. I think the, there's there's still some work to be done on the defensive side of things, and and you know, really fighting to get into the net front and get into those hard areas. But he's got the skill, and uh, and he's got he's got uh, he's got the confidence too. So so I think he'd be a pretty good pick at four there for San Jose. And and judging by the uh, NHL award shows and their pension for um, questionable humor, there there will be a Fresh Prince reference the minute he's uh, he's drafted. Correct? Oh, without a doubt. Every time I every time I yeah. gift him this year, someone was making some sort of slap joke, and, and uh, yeah, they, they people, yeah. people just can't help yeah. themselves, right? Yeah. I can't wait for it. Yes, yeah. Yes. All right, number five. Number five. We're going David Reinbacher to the Habs. Mm. Okay, the big the big defenseman there, righty. 6'2", mm-hmm. mobile, mean, loves to hit. We'll see about his offensive upside, but, you know, there, there's there's enough in there to get him 30, 35 points for sure and uh, and chew up some minutes. Do you, do, you, do you think there's any chance they slot him in next year, that any team, whoever ends up getting him, do you think they'd use him next year? If anybody outside of 1-2 is going to make the show, it's probably him. I could see in a certain yeah. situation, because he played pro hockey, because of the size, the mobility, that yes, there is a world where I could see him in the NHL next season. Arizona at number six, Cam. Yeah, we're going uh, Ryan Leonard. So uh, he's, he's had a lot of juice here, especially late in the year. Um, you know, we all watched what Matt Kachuk did in the playoffs. Teams are looking for the next Matt Kachuk. And now I'm not sitting here then saying Ryan Leonard is the next Matt Kachuk because he's not as big. If he was six foot two, you could argue maybe that's what he's got in him. Um, but he's a bit smaller, but he plays like that. He, he puts guys on their butts regularly playing against Div 1 players in, in the NCAA there too um, when they play up. And, and he's, he's rocking kids that are 23, 24 too. So he's got a lot of juice. And uh, I think... I think for Arizona, who has some smaller skill players too, that you had a player like him, that he could he could really make things happen. Philly at seven. This one is uh, I've been I've been talking about it forever, and I think it's just a perfect kind of setup. Is Dalbor Dvorsky? Um, you know, he, he he looks like a Philadelphia Flyer the way he plays. He's he's yeah. you know he plays straight up. He's got some physicality. He loves to get to the greasy areas and score goals the hard ways. Um, Pro body center. I think. I think it's unless they get fun and they go with Mishkov, which is something else I've heard recently. Um, but I'm, I'm taking. I'm taking uh, Dvorsky at this spot. Hey, Mishkov is one of the landing spots. There is seven yeah. if he falls because, as Cam notes, Brer and them have committed to a long term rebuild. As Blake has said, whoever is taking Mishkov is a GM who's secure in his future with the club and likely early in his tenure. Washington at number eight, my friend. There you go. Here, here's Matt B. Mishkoff for you. I don't think he gets past eight. We'll see if he even gets that far in real life here. But, yeah, I'm, I'm sending him to Washington. They sat on of getting Kuznetsov forever, waiting for him to come over. Obviously, they handled Alex Ovechkin, which was pretty easy to do. But uh, they know they know how to how to bring over Russians and uh, get them into the lineup, too. So, yeah, I'm, I'm taking Mishkoff, the elite goal scorer. The slide stops at eight. All right. So we're, we're starting to get down to the nitty-gritty here for Canucks fans. They're starting to salivate because their center's still on the board. We go to number nine in Detroit. Oliver Moore, the speediest Ooh. player in the class, has this uh, Dylan Larkin-like speed in the middle of the ice. He's not as talented as Dylan Larkin, but he has shades of him. Um yeah, I think that there's a chance that he can go in the top 10. And I think he's one of these ones that you might get a little ooze and ahs if he goes at nine. But, uh, but yeah, he's, he's, got a lot of, he's got a lot of skill. 
And like I said last week, is that we just need the, the mind to catch up with the feet here a little bit. And he'll get that at school for a couple of years. Grady Sass is looking at the prop on Oliver Moore on Bodog Cam. Uh, they set the over-under at 14 and a half. Now, under is the slight favorite at 150. But Grady's ready to put his mortgage from Jason Hominick on Moore at under 14 and a half. Good bet, bad bet. Gosh, I, I would, I, and I'm a better too. I'm a gambling man, but gambling on the draft is, that is not easy money because anything can happen, right? Uh, yeah, I would, if I was honestly, I'd take the over. If I, if I had to do it. Really? I would, but like it's, it's a, really? it's a coin flip. Like it just, just from what I've heard, I know that some teams really like him and I know some teams that are like, this guy's going to be a third line winger who can help you on the PK and, you know, has some oh. good leadership stuff like that. But he's he's closer to Otto Stenberg than he is to, to Will Smith. Um, but I do know some teams that really like him, too. So it, all, it only takes one. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, here's the uh, the final pick before the Canucks. The St. Louis Blues at number 10. Who are you sending there? I'm giving him the Swede, and it's not the one we thought it was going to be. It's Axel Sandin Palika. Um, so he, he had the great U18s. He's got terrific offensive intelligence four-way mobility he's not Quinn Hughes though he doesn't have that level of skating that level of puck skills and intelligence on the ice but he's he's that version just the lighter version maybe a Sam Gerrard version of him sort of thing um, and St. Louis is looking for some mobility and some some punch on the back end especially if they can convince uh crew to wave his his no trade clause and uh and yeah so that's that's where we're going with that Tim okay all right. Well, the three of us now are going to uh, pick for the Vancouver Canucks. We drew lots, and uh, Cam Robinson got the first overall pick. Blake, you're picking second here, and I'll pick third. And uh, we're all going to endeavor here to pick someone different. So, Cam, the floor is all yours with the 11th overall selection. The Vancouver Canucks select. They're taking Zach Benson. And I feel excellent about it because... I tweeted this out yesterday, is that in the last 25 years, the only U18 skater in the Western Hockey League who had more points than Zach Benson, Connor Bedard. That's it. That is yeah. it in the last 25 years. The fact that this kid is likely to slide to Vancouver and potentially pass them is fairly ridiculous. He is so smart. He has an incredible motor. His playmaking is through the roof. He might not be a center long term. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd love him to have Braden Point's feet. But to be fair, Braden Point didn't have Braden Point's feet in his draft year either. He was a little more advanced, but, you know, that's something that can come along too because he's got that effort. He's got that mind. I think he can get his skating. It's already good, but get it to be elite. And uh, if he can do that, then he's a center. If not, he's a winger, but he can be a first-line winger that's playing on your team in two, three years, making an impact. Vancouver needs skill. They're taking Zach Benson at 11. Wow. Wow. Well, Mr. Price, the floor is all yours there, and uh, he's left some meat on the bone for you at positions of need. Yeah, and I'm uh, and I'm going to go with a bit of a surprise, a bit of a surprise, because of the 11th pick in the NHL entry draft, the Vancouver Canucks select Dmitry Simashev. Foregoing all of the courting we had heard about Tom Wielander and others, they go with Simashev because, well, A, they love the little Russian mafia that they're creating here in Vancouver. They love his size, ultimately, and they see his skating as uh, just too good to pass up, so they go Simashev. 
at number 11. You know, when we were going through this exercise, I said, Cam and Blake are going to combine to take Wielander and Benson, and I'm going to take Simashev. Ah, so, so close. I will go with Wielander then, the yeah. right shot, uh, all-around defenseman who's got a whole lot of helium here. He's got some size. He's got some offensive ability. He improved vastly this year. And, of course, it's a position of need and from an area of the world where, of course, this general manager, Mr. Alvin, would be quite uh, quite familiar. Parting thoughts here, Cam Robinson, we left, first of all. We left Danielson we and left Danielson on the board. On the, and, and, oh, no, more we didn't. No, Sorry. we left Danielson, Danielson on the board. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of uh, Blake and I's selections with Shim- Simashev and Wheelander? I love them. I think if they came away with any of these three picks, I would give them an A because I have all three of them in my top 10. So so that that would be a win if they nailed mm-hmm. any of those guys. Um, I'm happy that they left, that we left Nate Danielson on the board. He can go at pick 15 or 16, where where realistically that's where Simashev is probably going to go. But um, I like it. I would love it if they took a swing on Simashev. I would be totally happy if they went with Belander too. Uh, both so mobile. That's what you need. You need mobility. And I know that Simashev is on the left side, but there is a potentially all-world stopper in that kid. Um, and And... Who doesn't want one of those? Yeah. Just for those who, because um, I saw and retweeted your your tweet about Danielson a couple of days ago, the couple of scenarios for this draft that I cannot get down on and Nate Danielson in the top 12 is one of them. You may have answered this several weeks ago when we were talking about him, but why do you think Danielson is too rich for the Canucks at number 11? I just don't see the upside. The, the like He's he's good he's got good speed he can make some plays but it's nothing is all that creative it's all very straight straight ahead and and i just he doesn't set up his deeks all that well um i just don't see it translating into a ton of offense at the nhl level and granted if you get yourself a legitimate number three center at pick 11 you're happy about that but i think in an organization like this is like you don't play it safe especially after taking the kiramak a year ago which was like the ultimate boomer bus prospect is that you don't now go and go soft on it and go let's take a like a lower ceiling guy that's safe. It's like no, let's let's build the cover with some talent. You can find players like Nate Danielson around. You can find him in the second, third round. You can find him in free agency and trade. Like if you're smart and you can identify guys if you trust your pro scouts. There's ways to get players like that. There's not ways to get a Zach Benson. There's not ways to get a top pairing right shot defenseman. What would really help the Canucks selection is if there's a reach candidate who most people have 15 to 32 that somebody reaches for. Who could muddy the waters and, and not muddy the waters, make, make the waters more crystal clear maybe for the Canucks at, at 11 because we start injecting new names in there. For me, I think somebody might fall in love with Colby Barlow and his, and his pugnacity and size and, and stuff like that. But what, uh, who do you think could, could enter the mix and really hasn't been getting much top 12, top 15 love? I'll give you two names here. So Gabe Perot, that there are a couple mm-hmm. teams who love Gabe Perot. Like love, love, love him. Um, so he could get in there. And then Matt Wood, Matthew Wood, too, because he's got the size. He's right. got the skills. Someone might be like, this is our top line center down the road. If we can get those feet up to snuff, there could be a serious player in there. And, I, and I'll and i give him that. That, that is true. Um, if, if he develops properly, that, that Matt Wood could be a, a top five player from this class that could be had in the middle of the first round. You know, when you said crystal clear, I thought it was pun intended ah, there with Andrew Andrew Crystal. crystal. Yeah. That would surprise me. I also me. think, gents, uh, I, I, for sure, I also think um, – I also think we've talked about him. I think Simashev could go way higher than people think here. Maybe. He's the type of player. What do they say about a draft? All it takes is one. Mm-hmm. And he's the type of specimen that people fall in love with. Yep. Uh, much like. 
Steve Eisenman and the Detroit Red Wings several years ago with Moritz Sider. I know he's not Sider, Cam. He's not a right shot guy, and he probably doesn't have the puck skills of Sider. But if you believe in the long term and bigger defensemen taking more time to develop and especially developing their puck game, then Simashev is a guy that I could see somebody going gaga for in the top 10. You're speaking my language. I can get finally, on that. Finally, Cam, do you, uh, have you heard any buzz about moving up or moving down or any sort of movement like that from the Canucks or anybody else for that matter? I haven't. No, no, I have not heard no. any, any any of that stuff yet. Uh, so hopefully that starts coming out, out of the woodwork today or uh, early tomorrow and we can, we can sneak some of that in there too. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Go uh, go bug Verbeek. See if he'll give you the scoop there on number two. Yeah. All right. Yeah, will do. Thanks for having me on, boys. We'll catch up with you tomorrow. Thanks, Thanks Cam. Cam. Appreciate it. Secures and Price from Wall Center. You can reach us via text 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Errors and omissions from yesterday's program. I, I self-corrected, but it was Sean Dursey to the Coyotes for a 24-second rounder, not a 23. Mm-hmm. Phil Mickelson is 6'3", not 6'4", as I suggested. And uh, Keegan Bradley, we were searching for his height, six foot two. Yeah. Decent Nothing further. It's time to get to Blake Price's Bodog line of the day. Bodog, your source for casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. So you like what you got. You, you might think, hey, NHL entry draft, Blake's going there. No, 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 no because deep cuts and B-sides. That's what it's got to be. Oh, you're kidding me. You have all these draft props available to you. Yeah, but you also have the two richest men on the planet vowing to fight each other inside a cage. Maybe not the two, but amongst the two richest. Are, are they the doing planet. that tomorrow? It's it's coming soon. Dana White brokering an Elon Musk Mark Zuckerberg cage match. I think both guys will wind up regretting this, even the winner. Um, it's a sad state on society, but here we go. Plus one sixty on Musk, minus two thirty on Zuckerberg. I'm going to go with the Android Zuckerberg. Sad state on society. It's a sad state on you to be picking this on the eve of an NHL draft. If if Elon Musk can find Zuckerberg's motherboard and oh pull God. it out mid-match, I think he's got a, a good chance. But otherwise, I'm going with the Android. Minus 230. Punch him in the interface. Yes. <laughs> on your Bodog line of the day. Oh, so you like that one. Yes. I've made a bunch of terrible dad jokes You've been really dad joking, And have been admonished. Yes. Rightfully so. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, tomorrow and Thursday's shows are going to publish a little later. You're going to see them a little later because we'll be recording after the Vancouver Canucks make their draft selections. Thanks for listening. A reminder, follow us and Rinkwide. Rinkwide going through the draft here as well. Each and every day, wherever you get your podcast, And please do support the community sponsors you hear us talking about, like Applewood Auto Group. Keep it local.